Moses, and the Phillies have the National League Championship. They have beaten the Padres 4-3, and they celebrate on their home turf as the Phillies are the 2022 NL From WHYY and Billy Penn, this is your Friday edition of Hitting Season, a Philadelphia Phillies podcast. My name is Justin Clue. I write for Baseball Prospectus, and with me is Liz Rocher of Yahoo Sports. Hello, Liz. Yo, happy Friday or Saturday, everyone. Happy Friday, happy summer, happy Phillies winning streak, happy Pride Month. Lots happy of- not choking on particulate in the air month. Hey, that's another good one. You know, We've we already of... failed. Reset the calendar. <laughs> Some years are harder than others, Liz, around the holidays like that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this is uh, it's a lot to talk about in today's episode as the Phillies head into a weekend series with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, but first, uh, like I said, it is Pride Month. And Liz, I wanted to start off with a story fresh from this afternoon. Uh, reliever, reliever Anthony Bass of the Toronto Blue Jays. Made a household name of himself this year the old-fashioned way by complaining that a flight attendant made his wife clean up some peanut shells their kids had dropped on the floor during a flight. He got even more popular when he retweeted a video urging people to boycott Bud Light and Target because of their very brief, very corporate advocacy for Pride Month. So he then issued a 33-second apology to the press, uh, which started with the phrase, I'm gonna make this quick. And then he fled into the dugout and would not take any questions. Uh, he also met with the executive director of Pride uh, in Canton, in Toronto, I believe. Um, he has been DFA'd by the Blue Jays this afternoon. Not because, not because of any of this, but because a guy came off the injured list who is demonstrably better than him. But that's just a fun little Pride Month tale I wanted to share that had a happy little ending. For now. You know. So will he still? Catch the first pitch on Pride Night. Oh, I forgot about that part. That's the worst part. Is yep, that the Blue that Jays? Is, I was waiting for you to mention it because that is the worst, which is why I cackled so loud. Because does that mean he's not catching the first pitch on Pride Night? Because the blowback from that has been kind of big. Like Oh, big he, time. It's been massive because they, they announced that they were going to have him do this after he made a a very basic statement about like learning to accept people. And I, I'm a Christian. I love, I, I don't judge any, like it's all of that tone. It's not, it's not anything. It's nothing. It's negative. It's, it's not anything positive because all you're doing is saying, I am standing here, uh, giving my bare consent. Like, no, that's not right. Pride Month is not that. And the fact that they're like this man who recently somewhat learned probably in his heart screaming no the whole time uh, will be catching the first pitch on Pride Night is it's just so singularly tone deaf. Oh, from the from the Red Sox and their their fringe reliever who who had this issue as well, Matt mm. Dermody, to the Blue Jays, turning pride into a PR cog to rehabilitate the image of one of their idiot players. Yeah, it's, yeah, teams just have no idea how to handle these situations, and they no. just don't seem that complicated to me. No, and the biggest thing here is that any and all of these players could have made the choice to just not do this. Yeah, you can just say there, nothing. There are are multiple guys on the Phillies that are. It's so important just to know you can just shut up. That's like the key to making people feel welcome is just shutting up. You don't have to like your opinions don't always have to be known, because baseball is for everyone. You are not like baseball players are not the gatekeepers of this. Whether or not they approve is irrelevant. So everyone should stop caring. Like, you could stay, don't mix politics and and baseball, but they're the ones doing this. They're the ones making this an issue. Right. I, I, if he does actually, you know, have anything involved in Pride Night, I can only guess he's going to be violently booed. 
Meaningless. It would be it's, a meaningless gesture. Well, it would be, no, it, it wouldn't just be meaningless. It would oh, be yeah. actively antagonistic, I would say. Personally, I am not part, I, I'm not a part of the community, but I am an ally. And to me, it's important to say, no, it would be offensive to have a guy who, like, last week was saying, hey, let's boycott Bud Light because they dared include a trans person in their advertising chick-fil-a has a dei initiative like let's boycott like this is you can't involve someone who has just recently learned to say out loud uh these people i believe these people are allowed to exist you can't those people can't be involved or if the the vibe of their recent apology was let's get this over with Clearly, oh this person gosh. has like, not learned and is not interested in learning. So, no. yeah, there's no reason for them to be involved. And you're right. It, it tears down the idea of pride to involve them. It's it's idiotic. But speaking of shutting up, the <laughs> Phillies recently shut up the Detroit Tigers Woo! at home by Baseball. sweeping them uh, in a series that really they had no reason not to sweep the other team. But <laughs> Thank the Lord. Wow. <laughs> you, you never we know. We were all concerned, guys. It was, it was touch and go for... Uh, I'd say two-thirds of this, of this entire series. Yeah, uh, this is a team that has really defined itself by winning a couple, losing a bunch, winning a bunch, losing a couple. Right now, we're in a winning a couple uh, period, so feelings <laughs> are good. Well, Emotions are high. They, they were The Phillies were coming off losing four straight going into this series against the Tigers that got wrapped up last night after a, a delay from a postponement due to the wildfire smoke from Canada. From Canada sweeping down into the northeast weird planet uh but uh, they came off came off four straight losses including getting swept by the new york mets the phillies rolled into washington and immediately lost a game tying them for last place in the national league east the mets were laughing pete alonzo was taunting braves pitchers the phillies were not winning games and everything looked bad then the phillies beat the nationals in the next two games they came home swept the tigers is it a lot as matt gell wrote today Greater tests await, but boy, <laughs> did it feel good just to see them win a, get, win some games that they were supposed to win. Uh, Liz, coming off this series, before we get into we go game through game by game through this series, um, you know how how are you feeling right now? Other, other than the obvious, you know we enjoyed watching them uh, win. Was there any specific performances from this series that that encouraged you moving forward as they take on a much better team like the Dodgers? <laughs> um, I would say the walk off certainly encouraged me that's a good momentum builder there were a lot of there were a lot of good moments there were a lot of reasons to feel good there were also a lot of reasons to scream into a pillow but there were also moments that were good as there would be when you know the Phillies sweep a series like coming into this my sister got married last Saturday which by the way was when they started winning prior to that I was talking to relatives and whatnot Everyone was angry. There was no happiness anywhere. About the Phillies. About the Phillies. Every, <laughs> and of course, like, I, I am the sports person. I, you know, I, I'm one of the, you know, the bridesmaids, as it, you know, as you would say. And so everyone already knows me, but I'm the sports person. So everyone is talking to me automatically about the biggest thing happening, the Phillies. And everyone is angry relatives friends everyone was upset uh and halfway through the evening at the reception we were all being angry about the phillies together you know three drinks deep and someone noticed that they were winning (laughs) that they were winning on saturday we're like hey wow would you look at that and then we (laughs) exactly and then everyone stopped talking about the phillies because they were winning and everyone moved on (laughs) It's it was that easy, beautiful. Folks. <laughs> and honestly, that the walk-off win came in game three of a sweep instead of a game that started with, you know, a Tom McCarthy intro that would have been like, Philly's hoping to salvage one here against the Detroit Tigers. Uh, instead of that, we got to actually celebrate that that this was the this was capping off a series of wins, not a, oh, thank goodness they didn't get swept, which feels like it's been happening a lot lately. Oh, yeah. I think the most important part of this series that w- was the pitching, the starting pitching by the Phillies, which, you know, once again, 
I, I think if you looked at the numbers, I, I mentioned the streakiness of this club. I think you would see that coincide with these streaks, these starting pitching uh, that the rotation has been able to go on, going deep into games and utterly really just dominating lineups, which is not, I would say, characteristic of this rotation for the season as a whole just yet. Uh, so I think once again, we have found this rotation to be a strength. And when it is a strength, they win ball games. And I think that was the biggest part of this series. Um, in game one, the switch was flipped with two crucial turnarounds. One was Trey Turner. He had a four hit game and frankly, almost had a five hit night. Uh, he had that liner down the left field line in his last at bat that Nick Maton snared at third base. Uh, but you know, if that had managed to get through, it was going to be at least a double in the corner. And it felt like more of a hit than his first one of that game, which was a grounder that just snuck past some gloves on the left side of the infield. Uh, so it was great to see Turner continue his uh, turnaround. And uh, Aaron <laughs> Stop Nola. It. Stop it. I'm, I'm, I'm making T-shirts. What do you want from me? It's called a side hustle. Uh, Aaron Nola pitched like a champ as well. That was the, the, the other big turnaround that was uh, that was important for the Phillies. Oh, yeah. Went seven innings through six and two-thirds innings of no-hit ball. One of two no-hit bids in this series. For I the know. Phillies. This, this oh. is what I'm talking about. This wasn't just a good series for the rotation. They dominated the Tigers, who are a bad team, but still – they dominated them as a good team would. That's exactly uh, what you're supposed to do. It, it's confidence building. It's momentum building, which is what is supposed to happen when you play crappy, crappy teams. Yep. Uh, Nola allowed only one hit, three walks, uh, three runs, none of them earned, and 12 strikeouts. Now, that's a ball game, and oh, that's yeah. a pitcher. Hot dang. But uh, quick sidebar into Conspiracy Alley. <laughs> Two of Nola's 12 strikeouts were from pitch clock violations committed by Tigers batters. And today, Matt Gelb of The Athletic had a story about how the pitch clock at Citizens Bank Park is now suspected, or in some cases just outwardly accused by Phillies and visiting players, of running faster than the pitch clock at other stadiums. Now, Liz, you read this story. Uh, what's what's the deal here? What, I have opinions. How, how I have real is this? I have opinions. So... <laughs> What they're saying is there's an umpire or, you know, there's an official running the clock at every stadium. It's a human. They run the clock. So they're not saying that the clock they're using is running faster seconds, which is what I originally thought when I saw the headline, <laughs> which does not make any sense. No, they're saying that the person has an, an itchy trigger finger, essentially, and they start it early, which is something I actually noticed like last week I was watching them play at home and every single time I would look up after, you know, an at bat ended, however it did. I'm like, how are there only 13 seconds left? When did they start the clock? And that's apparently what's been happening. It, whoever is there is starting it earlier. Usually the home plate umpire signals uh, when he wants the clock to go on, when the clock to start. Um, that is not happening. So I I have a number of questions about this. Do you have questions first? <laughs> well, my first question was just really more of an observation, which was all these technical implementations baseball is using to try and improve or make the game more efficient. All of them come back to the human element, it seems like. Uh -huh. At the end of every <laughs> chord hooked up to a computer or a clock or whatever is a, is a human uh, who is, has the potential to just do it wrong because they are not programmed to work in a certain way. They're a person when they instituted uh, instant replay that um, those umpires aren't asking a computer like, Hey computer, uh, was it safe or out? And the computer's like, it was safe. It's not like that. It's just another umpire on the phone. Who's looking at a screen going, Oh yeah. Or what I think, do you guys want it to be safe or out? Like, do how are you? Are you gonna? Are you having a sensitive day that if I <laughs> overturn your call, it's really gonna hurt? So, like, that's not that's not like robot. We're not anywhere near robot umpires oh, with God. that with that system. And now here again, the pitch clock isn't hooked up to a computer or anything. It's not running with the efficiency of of technology uh, as we know. Uh, it, it is. It, there's a person at the other end of it. And look, look. Look where we are. An issue because of a person. Now, I'm not saying the human element should be removed from the game. No. I'm just I'm just saying 
it is funny that with all the technology we're trying to use to make the game better or shorter, faster, more efficient, there is still a person. At the end of every <laughs> one of these, there is still a person. And you get issues like this. Yes. So one thing to first recognize is that MLB rushed the rollout of this as they have done, and they screwed it up. They have failed kind of consistently in implementing their new rules in, you know, in ways that make you think they've thought about it for more than maybe, you know, like three meetings. You know, you'd think you'd want more than three meetings for up the the first pitch clock ever in baseball, ever in Major League Baseball. You'd think you'd want a few more. Well, those are the rules, Liz. Those baseball rules. is based on threes. You know, three strikes, you're out. Three meetings, it's done. It's yeah. just these are written in the ancient texts, and we have to follow them. We do. So that's one thing. There are, I think, three other teams that have problems along this line that are sort of worse than every other one. Uh, there's the Phillies who are way out there. At, well, not the Phillies. Citizens Bank Park, Chase Field, and Lone Depot Park are also above, like, 0. 0.75 um, violations per game per park. Uh, and then the Pirates are just slightly above. Um, and City Field is also City Field Fenway Park. So those are kind of all of them. None of those are as bad as the Phillies. It's a huge jump. Uh, so the one thing that I thought of first, besides MLB obviously didn't train these people, uh, is that is it the same person doing it every time? No. There are different people doing it every time that we've been told. We don't know who it is behind behind the clock, but there is a, a it is supposedly rotating. So now I'm thinking, is it something about where they're sitting? Is it something about the view they have at this park? Can they not see the home plate umpire clearly? Is it really far away? I don't know. I don't know where any of this is located in the park or, you know, what camera it is that they're seeing or whatever it is. I'm thinking that that's where we need to look. Because this with there are teams that are bad as well. And it just can't be... If they rotate every time, right? It can't just be one person... With a vendetta, which... That's the notion of a rotation. Yeah, that is, yes. uh, that's what that exists for. Is it, you know, is it a whole rotation of people with a vendetta? <laughs> I it hope could so. be. It would also I be really helpful so. to know if it's the if it's just like the same pool of, you know, 15, 20 people. Or if like every umpire gets a turn. We don't know. Because God forbid we know anything about the sacred rituals of the umpires. I hope it is a, a, a squad of people with a vendetta because then it would actually be a conspiracy. Like, I hope we the, unveil a, a secret council of sorts. The, that has, do the uh, Phillies have an awning in the way? Do they have maybe, an old maybe. clock? Do they, you know, is is there someone with like a, a, a bicycle powered clock? Like what? Why? This hope, like looking at this, it makes no sense. I hope it's that the, when the fanatic like stops on his break to sit down or something on a hot day, his seat happens to be right in front of where the pitch clock person is, and they just can't see around his giant nine hundred pound body, and it's just obscuring everything. And they're too—they're just too afraid to say anything to the fanatic. He just holds too much influence in the organization, and they just don't want to uh, ask him to move. And it's just—they're hoping to just get by unnoticed to this point, but they actually haven't seen the field once <laughs> this season. <laughs> Oh, right. man. I'm I, just, it, this drives me insane because there's no reason this should be happening. There's no reason this should be happening. Well, right? hopefully we, we get an answer for this. Uh, I'm very curious about it. This was a late addition to our mm -hmm. to our show because the, when the story was published, I'm very eager to see uh, what comes next. Because, like we said, lots of players, Phillies and visiting, are set, when asked, like, well, do you think the pitch clock's faster? Like, oh, absolutely. Josh Harrison's like, oh, yeah. Def no definitely. question. Everyone's <laughs> saying it, and they've talked to Major League Baseball about it. Yeah. And there so, doesn't seem to be anything happening there. So I feel like this is now the next step. They didn't get an answer, and now they need fans. They need fans to be angry about this. Who has time to be hysterical about this all the time? 
all the time? Definitely have- not me. I will not be hysterical <laughs> about this all the time. I might forget about it the moment we're done the podcast. <laughs> but I mean, like, from the Phillies' perspective, they're like, if only there was this legion of people with nothing but time <laughs> on their hands who can harass and uh, uh, verbally abuse Major League Baseball into get you know looking into this or fixing the problem. Uh, so I think that's, yeah, they're, turn to the fans. That's In a way, that's what they're there for. Yes. Uh, fans, well, watch the field. Make reports. I don't know who to, but but make them. Store them. There'll be a time for you to, to use them. Nevertheless, uh, not to, that doesn't take anything away from Aaron Nola's fantastic start against the Tigers in game one of this series. Uh, he lost his no-hit bid on a huge Nick Maton three-run homer that seemed to put the game in jeopardy by making it 5-3 to three at the time. But the Phillies' offense came through again for their starter and pulled further ahead. Uh, Bryce Harper and Nick Castellanos drove the offense that night, both with multi-hit games. JT Real Muto drove in a couple of runs. It all worked. As Alex Coffey wrote in the Inquirer, the night didn't end the way Nola wanted it to, but it was the first glimpse he's shown this year of his 2022 form. It's true. He just, honestly, he just looked different that night. He really did. Something was different on a deeper level, at least for one night. And it was great to see. So that was a solid 8-3 to three win by the Phillies. Uh, felt good. And they went into their next two games, which were much closer. And they had to win in different ways. In game two, Kyle Schwarber continued heating up. Uh, he knocked in and scored the only run of the game. And this was this put things in Taiwan Walker's hands to kind of handle this one to nothing lead like a little baby bird, and Ooh. he didn't he didn't drop it. Nope. Again, a, a Phillies starter went seven strong innings in his last four starts. Taiwan Walker has a two thirty five ERA. In yeah, in game two, Ooh. here's another fun little stat that I Ooh. discovered myself. In games where uh, Wheeler, Nola, and Walker have gone at least six innings, Wheeler the Phillies are six and five when Wheeler does it. They are four and three when Nola does it. When Taiwan Walker goes at least six innings, they are six and oh. Whoa. When he goes deep, the Phillies win. His splitter was splitting. He was getting swings and misses. He got out of a bases loaded jam in the fifth. He was missing bats. The Tigers couldn't touch his pitches. And at one point in this game, Tigers shortstop Javi Baez swung at a pitch so far out of the stretch. <laughs> I think somebody in the dugout could have reached out and grabbed it. He's yeah. bad, guys. He is not a good hitter, man. No! I, oof, boy. <laughs> he is not good. But th- that, again, nothing to take away from Taiwan Walker, who looked so confident. He knew. He knew he was dealing, which was awesome to see because that's – that's when that's what you want. You want a guy to not just pitch well, but to enjoy it as opposed to like feeling, you know, having your hands clenched all the time. Like I'm about to lose this game. The game is about to get out of control. It was nice to see him just go out there and be so confident about it and to see him succeed. Absolutely. And he's struggled, Walker has, with allowing walks. He's been giving up more walks this year uh, than he did last year. His walk rate's up. He gave up three of them again in this one, but they didn't hurt him. And the Phillies didn't score again after Schwarber hit a home run, but they did hit the ball. You might say it's good they won, but the offense didn't show up, and that Mm -hmm. concerns me, but that's not true. That's a box score take. If you watch this game... You saw the Tigers make a couple of truly insane defensive How? plays in the field. How? <laughs> to what? keep the... Where did those... That's not... Now, they only do that against the Phillies. That's just... That's only... That's when it happens. Philly, other bad teams play some of their best baseball against the Phillies. They really do. I mean, I think it was a Castellanos sure thing double that uh, their one outfielder made a diving catch on the warning track. That was just a terrific catch, but it was so frustrating in a game where you're just waiting for the offense to kick in and it was kicking in. The Tigers were just stopping it. And uh, the other thing that was in their favor was the wind, which is never a huge, huge issue at, at Citizens Bank Park as much as it is in other stadiums. But it was blowing the ball back so aggressively in that game. Oh, yeah. I think I counted three different, no doubt, Phillies home runs that came back. Bryce Harper was mad about it. He was showing visible frustration oh, after yeah. he got a hold of one. I know JT got a hold of one, and I'm I'm guessing here, I think it was Castellanos had the third one that blew back. Uh, but point is, they were hitting the ball. They, they, they were, but the Tigers were either able to make miraculous and uncharacteristic defensive stops, or nature had its way with the ball, and... Yeah, you know, it just didn't work out for the Phillies, but thankfully, 
That's why you that's why you want to be able to rely on w- more than one facet of your team. If you're like, well, the pitching's not great, but the offense will bail us out. Well, the offense isn't going to show up every night. So it's nice to be able to rely on your starters the way you're supposed to. And these this rotation isn't isn't meant to be like, you know, the Phillies don't blow these guys up and they're like just balloons they stick out on the mound and, and you know, serve as, <laughs> as placeholders. No, these are I really these enjoyed are the mental pitchers. image that you've given me. <laughs> <laughs> like they are like inflatable are, noodle men kind of, right? Yeah, yeah, waving their arms like they're outside of a car dealership, yeah. Someone now, is, put that together, my God. <laughs> this is a rotation that's that's supposed to get outs, and like I said, we were finally seeing that consistently in this series. Walker did his job. Craig Kimbrell, man. Whew. First, the Phillies have unlocked Jose Alvarado for the Dodgers series that starts tonight, which yeah. is tremendous news. At, but at, Kimbrell, at the perfect time, honestly. Yes, yes. And, and Kimbrell, you know, he has carried the load with Alvarado out Locked down. He has been there say he has been there well I was going to say saver but savior is more probably either accurate. works closer is the actual yes. term uh he knocked out the ninth in this game one two three striking out the side in a one-run game boy that is what you want to see oh yeah uh, I, also, I also gotta throw sir anthony dominguez's name in there he's struggled this season but uh yeah he didn't he didn't blow anything for the phillies in you his know, appearance he threw some pitches that were incredible that hitters were absolutely confused by it was it yep. was good to see him throw a few of those again yeah, that's what we're used to seeing from him. But um, yeah, as this as this team figures itself out, it's great to see performances like that from just about everybody. So I was comfortable with Kimbrell on the mound. I was not comfortable seeing Kimbrell come into a game earlier this season. I was comfortable watching him pitch in that situation. And that is a situation in which I am never comfortable, especially, you know, no matter who's on the mound. Yeah. But what a blessing uh, Kimbrell has been the past few weeks. A who, blessing moving at 96 miles an hour. Who could have thought I mean you could have because we know that he's had this in him but it's been it's been a while since he has consistently pitched like this I think he had Mm -hmm. like a a pretty decent season a few years ago but he has had some really really bad seasons since then and to see him do well and to feel like we trust him despite (laughs) everything is really it is it's a new feeling Trust is a hard thing for relievers, especially late-inning relievers, to gain, and it is very easy for them to lose. So, you know, you're, you're only as, as good as your last outing when you're the closer, but guys like Kimbrel who've been doing it their whole careers, you know, they're, they're used to that. They, they, they love that stuff. That's why, that's why they have the jobs they have. So, yeah, it's, it's great to see him come through. It's great to see him um, carry the, carry the back of the bullpen with Jose Alvarado being out. Um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been great. It's been comfortable. Yes. Uh, it's been Des- oddly comfortable. Yes. Despite what happened on uh, what day is today? Thursday with him in the game. Correct. Yes. And everybody runs. I, I, I would just like to say you, you we will talk about it, but anyone who is calling for his head will have to go through me first. <laughs> uh, you heard it, folks. <laughs> Liz is Line challenging up. I've got the city my of Philadelphia to a fight. <laughs> <laughs> my well, punching game- gloves, my stomping boots. I'm ready. Game three of this series yesterday, another one run victory that needed a comeback in the ninth. Uh, oh, they honored Miguel Cabrera before game three. It's his last game at Citizens Bank Park during his yes. last season. They had Dave Dombrowski down on the field, who obviously knows him from his Tigers days. He was down there. They got Nick Castellanos down there. He was a former teammate of Cabrera's as well on the Tigers. Um, I love Miggy. Oh, uh, yeah. It's probably, we don't, we didn't see him a whole lot uh, being in the National League and, and, you know, it didn't start till interleague play. We really didn't see him a whole lot, but he has always been a very fun player to watch. And it's probably easier to be happy every day playing baseball when you're a locked in Hall of Famer, but his general approach to baseball is just so admirable. He's always having fun. He's always smiling. He's always doing goofy stuff. And they got Ryan Howard to come out for it, too. It's crazy that we're all getting older and Ryan Howard is just preserved in his 2010 form physically. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how he's doing that, but it is it's such beautiful. a it was always, always, always good to see Howard. He is a beacon of joy. Mm-hmm. Same as Miggy. So that was very cool. I was glad the Phillies did yeah. that. Did you see the uh, I think it might have been in game one. Did you see Miggy cup check uh, Bryson Stott? That was I at least wanted to mention it because I thought that was 
so cute and like a, a real now you're part of the club. You know what it was like? Because uh, I I just you know I don't know for sure, but it doesn't feel like Cabrera and Bryson Stott like know each other very well. That was probably like their first meeting, at least potentially. And it reminded me of when <laughs> when uh, Iron Man calls Spider Man an Avenger in Infinity War, and he just has this kind of like breathlessly overjoyed look on his face, it's like you're part of it now, kid. Yeah. And, you know, Stott's been around. Stott's playing the World Series. Like he's not like the newest kid in town, but yeah, he's a young player, far closer to the beginning of his career than the end. And to have Miguel Cabrera, a guy with that kind of status, come by and cup check you on his yep. way around the bases, was well, yeah, that's cool. Like it's really, funny. the last—he's really the last of that era around. Is there anyone left? Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I'm sure. I feel like, mm, well, uh, off the top of my head, Adam no Wayne one's coming Ray? to mind. But yeah, Does I mean, there's count? guys like that still around. Absolutely, like same general era. But you're right. There's not too many of them anymore. Miguel Cabrera was drafted. It- by or was that signed by the Marlins? Oh, the Marlins, right? He, he came up was with the in Marlins. the World Series in 2003 and was traded along with Dontrell Willis to the Tigers in December 2007. I did know that. Other I names forgot. involved Cameron Maven, Burke Badenhop, uh, Dallas Trahern, Andrew Miller. Those are all names that you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, I mean, that was the huge post-World Series trade for which uh, Jeffrey Loria was shamed. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, yes. that was, uh, yes, I do remember that. That's right. I just, I associate him with the Tigers so much, I forgot. I Me forgot too. About like, I, I saw that and like, I know that I knew that maybe once. <laughs> Long ago I did, but like, I, I forgot that he, he was with any other team. So, <laughs> Well, the Phillies in Game 3 against the Tigers, again, managed only one run for a lot of the game. But once again, they had the lead for a chunk of it. And once again, they were able to do so thanks to an incredible start, this time from Zach Wheeler, who gave them another deeper no-hit bid than even Aaron Nola had given them. He went seven and a third innings, one hit, one, one run, one walk, eight strikeouts. This pitching staff looked downright dominant for the first time all year. I don't think you can hang your hat on that just yet. You obviously have to mention that the level of competition they faced wasn't the best, but this was more than just beating up on a weakling. This was starting pitching, uh, finding another gear, and getting the job done themselves. You don't want a guy going out there who's always who always thinks he's got to win the game himself, but it's nice to have a couple of guys who look like they could if you needed them to. Uh, especially in a game where Cody Clemens is setting the offensive bar. I mean, you know, not to talk down about <laughs> Cody Clemens either, because he's come up for this team like a couple of times in big ways. So, I mean, I think he's hitting like over 250. Yeah, which is I mean, he's for, he's for, the third str- or maybe fourth string first baseman after Hoskins, Hall, and Alec Bohm are all missing time for injury. So and he's there, he, and he's like that is actually not bad for a no. guy doing what he's doing. Uh, and his daddy was in the was at the TV booth last night, and of course he he hit a walk off. Okay, why not? I mean, he had the only multi hit game of the night too oh, in the lineup, yes. so including the game winner. Uh, Harper's sack fly gave the Phillies a one to nothing lead in the sixth. Zach Short of the Tigers tied it with a bunt, and Nick Maton once again <sighs> delivered the lead taking single for Detroit in the ninth. When did you know the Phillies were going to walk this one off, though, Liz? I mean. At what, at what point? Like before the ninth even started? No. Before their half of the ninth? No. No, I I was, I, I was feeling I was seeing people say angry things about Craig Kimbrell, and uh, I was uh, too frustrated about that because anyone who's like, well, of course, because people were saying that. I'm like, where have you been? He's been Be- great. You have not been paying attention. People say stuff like that because. Getting to feel like they called it, it offers the smallest amount of comfort in a moment of frustration. Yes. That is my theory. Now, did I know before it happened that Zach Wheeler wasn't getting the win? Absolutely. He took a (laughs) no-hitter into the eighth inning. (laughs) That has not historically worked out well for Phillies pitchers uh, over the last several years. That is what I did know. I'll say that I didn't know that they were going to walk it off until it happened. Because... You know, no disrespect to Cody Clemens, but Cody Clemens was up. Yeah. Sorry. Like, it, he is doing better than you would expect him to. But it, you don't think of him 
it, it, when you think of, oh, it's a big moment, now here comes that uh, Hall of, uh, no, that uh, that great baseball player's son. <laughs> yeah, you j- yeah, I think that's fair enough. In a big moment, who do you want up in the Phillies lineup? I think you would say a bunch of guys before you say Cody Clemens. Oh, yeah. But again, I, I don't think I, we have to dwell on talking down about him because he's been totally solid uh, filling the the role he's felt he's filled for this Phillies team. I knew they were going to win when Harper led off the ninth with a double. Oh, there you, know, you go. I, I'm not I'm not saying that's like, you know, any kind of Nostradamus level uh, prophecy. But when when that happened, guy on second with no outs in a one one run game, I was like, look, they had no excuse not to sweep this series before the series even started. They have a ghost have runner no essentially reason. in the ninth inning. Yeah. Exactly. They have no reason not to win this game now that they've got a runner in scoring position with no outs and a one-run deficit. And it's Harper who will just, he will will it to happen with, you know, his mind. That is is very true, actually. Yeah. Did you you say your own point was a good point? (laughs) No, no, yours. (laughs) No. I did not say it was no. I was saying, no, your point was good that uh yeah leading off with the double was a good indication that they would win i hadn't thought about that (laughs) that did not make me feel good i was just assuming he'd get stranded yeah it's harper at second base justin he's gonna he's gonna force his way in that's a good point liz thank you liz (laughs) no i that i was saying it's a good point to you I understand. Uh, Trey Turner walked <laughs> after the Harper double. JT Real Muto struck out. Bryson Stott walked to load the bases. And at this point, it's stupid if they don't win. Yeah. Like, if they don't win, they've screwed up somehow. <laughs> so, guy on third, less than two outs, down by one in the bottom of the ninth. You get that run in. It's halfway home already. Just get it in. And Brandon Marsh delivered with a sack fly that almost looked like a bases clearing double off the bat. But no matter. Cody Clemens came up and rocketed a single to right to win the ball game, and the Phillies swept the Tigers. Yes, uh, so they yeah, did. just uh, a couple of you know. Obviously, there were hiccups throughout the series. There was that play uh, on Zach Short's bunt uh, that that um, tied the game with the Tigers. They uh, nobody was covering first. And oh, that, that, was, that was awful! That was <laughs> that was so tragic. Like, boy, we cannot get plays at first right. Nope. It feels like this year. It's, nope, nope, oh, nope. Boy. Uh, but T-Mac and Kruk up in the TV booth, they kept using the word euphoric or euphoria to describe the vibes at Citizens Bank Park during this game. Yeah, they were to... way into the crowd vibe. I I, yeah. I couldn't, it wasn't definitely, I didn't think they were being sarcastic, but I was wondering, are they just being overexcited? Because why? I think people were, I, I do think people were excited. I think they knew, True. you know, this, the sweep is on the line. It'd be great to, to finish these guys off and, the broadcast team, I feel I feel this meant two things that they kept using this word. One, they definitely have a word a day calendar. Yes. <laughs> and, and secondly, the Phillies have once again set themselves up to go on a run. Like that people are excited about that. They're like, okay, look, this team lost a bunch in a row. That doesn't mean one win is going to make people feel better. But a couple wins in a row is like, okay, this is good. And then that means when you win a couple in a row, you can win a couple more in a row. Like the potential is there to go on this hot streak. We've been waiting for them to go on again. And once again, the Phillies have set themselves up to do so. So calendar this- flipped, man. And the switch went on. It was, I could not believe that. Yep. It's, it's, don't, it's almost gotta, enraging. People got to understand that there's, We've entered an era where there's the Phillies and then there's the June Phillies. And there's those are just two different teams, like entirely. You got to just understand that and work that into your projections. So let's see you do that math. <laughs> Stupid math. Anyway, Agreed. this was a lot of fun. And exactly what the team needed to do. John and I said earlier in the week, no reason not to sweep the Tigers, but they've got some mojo here. And now the Dodgers are in town. So we will see what happens. But just to go back for a second. Those four terrific starts in a row the Phillies got. The one I didn't mention was the first one against the Nationals. That was Ranger Suarez in the series finale in Washington. And they just really gave this team some juice. Mm -hmm. Matt Gelb said the Phillies rotation this week did something it hasn't done in nine years. Nine years. Nine years. Nine. They have made four straight starts of at least seven innings. That's overwhelming. Time travel back to like 1990 and tell that to somebody that like we're freaking out because the pitchers all pitched at least seven innings four days in a row and they're like what what yeah that's just that's pitching that's that's <laughs> just starting pitching on a like a solid team what are you what are you talking about 
Uh, it's a good time for the starters to find a groove, Matt Gelb wrote. Uh, Bryce Harper is doing his thing and putting a bit of public pressure on this team to find a fifth starter. This is from Gelb's story in The Athletic. Uh, Harper said, we still need that fifth, right? Hopefully we get that, whoever that is, or whatever that may be. Kind of, uh, I think it kind of put a little, oh, this is still him talking. Kind of put a little bit pressure, a little bit less pressure on our bullpen and Matt Strom as well. He does a great job for us. Just put a little less pressure on them. Aw, that's actually kind of nice. (laughs) Yeah. He wants to see it, same as anybody else. And uh, the Phillies signed journeyman Drew Hutchison. Uh, to a contract, stationed him in Lehigh Valley to await further orders. Hutchison is another guy who's pitched for the Tigers. He pitched 105 innings in 2022, which was the most he'd pitched in one year since 2015. He's also a former Philly, if his name sounds familiar. Uh, I kind of thought he was, but then there's there's been a lot of Drews over the years. Oh my, so I thought, there have been very many. But as our friend Mike Robertson at Vransky LA on Twitter pointed out, Hutchison was, part, was a part of Gabe Kapler's first win. For the Phillies. <laughs> so he is a part of Phillies history. Memories. Just a couple more Lord. notes on this series. Tigers closer Alex Lange, has a, he's had a great season. Uh, it took until this game, which was his 25th of the year, to record his first blown save. So when you're saying that the Phillies had to beat, uh, you know, this was a crappy team and the Phillies should have beaten them. Well, A, they did. And B, you know. Here was a closer who had not blown a save yet. And again, game three came down to, can we get this guy to do something? He has not yet done this season and they managed to do it. So that's uh, something of an accomplishment. Yeah. And finally, Nick Maton, I think really, really, really wanted to beat the Phillies. Oh, I don't think he did. I don't think it's, it's not because he's was like mean spirited or has any hate in his heart for them or anything. I think it was just, this is my former team. And I think he's got that rapidly beating little puppy dog heart. And he wanted to win and not just have the Tigers beat the Phillies. I think Nick Maton wanted Nick Maton to beat the Phillies. Yeah, because he was he was a a a comfortable part of that team. He didn't do much for the Phillies last year, but he was uh, an important part of the clubhouse, it seemed. And he liked being there and they traded him. And I think that. You know, it's business, but that probably, I don't want to say he's he was upset about it, but that probably rubbed him the wrong way a little bit. So, you know, he wants to win because he he wants to beat them because he would then be uh, able to say, well, don't you regret that? <laughs> I mean, think about that trade. Nick Mason finally gets a role on at the big league level with the Phillies after being a kind of a, you know, Role filler, bench guy, utility, triple A, you know, they finally had a role for him and he did great. He did great. He was part of a team that surprised everybody that went all the way to the World Series. And he's finally thinking, I'm finally comfortable. I'm with these guys I like playing with. We're good. I have a role here. And from front office perspective, from Dombrowski's perspective, they're like, great. Here's a guy that nobody was really valuing too highly outside of our organization. He made a name for himself doing what he does. Now, when we hit the trade market, we have this guy that other teams might be more interested in because he looks a lot better. So there's two different perspectives there. And I think everybody understands where everybody's coming from. But from Maton's perspective, he's, you know. Dang it, I just got comfortable, and now you're sending me packing. Like, come on. So then he comes back to Citizens Bank Park, and he's like, yeah, I will wreck your no-hitter, Aaron Nola, with a Mm -hmm. huge home run. I will get the lead back. (laughs) Yeah, I will get the lead back in game three and try to ruin this sweep as well. Uh, I think, yeah, and as Nola said, Maton's going to be bugging him about that for the rest of his career, and he should. He absolutely should. But I'll tell you what, I still like the the trade I'm still totally fine on. Oh, yeah. I, I would have liked to see Brandon Marsh and Nick Maton feed off each other for another year because I, I think they're the same kind of crazy. I would have I would have enjoyed that. I think everybody Teen would Teen Wolf and Father. Swap thing. <laughs> Teen Wolf and Swap Thing together again. <laughs> oh, this is a comic series that is just never happening now. <laughs> Badly. Unless you can unless someone feels like they could illustrate them wearing different jerseys. As as swamp thing, and <laughs> <laughs> well, I I have this very specific image in my head, I guess. Well, now let's reach across the aisle to our friends in Flushing, let's... where things have not gone so well this week. 
Liz, the Phillies employ a few ex-Mets in Zach Wheeler and Taiwan Walker, who we just gushed over for their recent performances and have in the past been big, uh, important parts of this team. The Mets employ a few ex-Phillies, like David Robertson and Tommy Hunter, who gave up the game-tying and game-losing hits, respectively. <laughs> to the Braves last night. It's been an up-and-down season for the Phillies and Mets, but boy, I'm glad we are on the Phillies' side of it right now. The Mets' loss last night was positively brutal. It was their third loss in a row after leading by three runs or more, and it got everybody talking. (laughs) Once again, the backbone of the Mets, the starting pitching, has fractured in several places. Uh, Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, the old-timers in whose quivering hands the Mets have placed their hopes of 2023, did not look good, nor, yeah, neither of them. Neither of them looked good. The Mets blew leads of 6-3, 9-5, and 10-6. As Ken Rosenthal wrote in The Athletic, they did it with one of their two $43 million aces, Justin Verlander, allowing five runs, four earned in only three innings. Their other $43 million ace, Max Scherzer, allowed five runs, all earned in five and two-thirds the previous night. Throw in the fact that Pete Alonso, who is having a monster year, uh, the kind that the Phillies have dreaded him having uh, ever since he entered the league, he's currently leading the National League with 22 home runs, and he was so pumped up with his uniquely unintimidating dorkitude against the Braves that he was shouting, <laughs> throw, it ag- throw it again, please, to Braves starter Bryce Elder from the dugout after homering off of him. Well, the Mets lost that game. <laughs> then they lost Pete Alonso after he got hit on the wrist with a pitch and had to come out of the game. He got a CT scan and an MRI this week. Word is there, word is there aren't any broken bones in there, but it's likely he's still headed for the injured list. And without him, the Mets offense deflates in the middle, even though they did score eight runs on Spencer Strider, it must be mentioned. Mm. Ken Rosenthal, <laughs> who is always correct, has jumped ships, has jumped ship on the Mets. <laughs> so fast. The guy who came to Joe Girardi's defense and then immediately looked wrong for doing so was basically writing in his athletic column today that Buck Showalter and general manager Billy Epler are both in serious danger of losing their jobs. This cannot be true. He wrote, unless the Mets turn things around quickly, it is becoming increasingly difficult to imagine Buck Showalter, the National League Manager of the Year in 2022, Lasting the entire season, general manager Billy Epler at some point might be in jeopardy too. Today on Baseball Tonight, the podcast, Buster Olney and Carl Ravitch were asked by a listener, which underperforming National League team is in the most trouble, the Padres, the Phillies, or the Mets? They both said the Mets, with Buster adding he felt very strongly about this. Ah, uh, Rosenthal called the Mets, who are 30 and 33, eight and a half games behind the Braves, a, quote, collective failure, and reminded us all that with a $359 million roster, Steve Cohen isn't going to just sit there and watch this happen. It's like watching Elon Musk try to interact with a human being. I can't wait to see what this desperate, obscenely wealthy nerd in over his head does next. I, mean, I don't know honestly, about you, Liz. <laughs> yeah, I've got, to be, I've got to be into that. I don't know about you, Liz, but I heard a lot less about Rob Thompson being fired this week. I can only assume the mock debate on that issue we had on Absolutely Hammered, available to patrons at patreon.com slash season, where you can find all kinds of extra bonus content from us for as little as $1 a month. Add something to do with it. Now, looking at the <laughs> NL East, you know who the Phillies have to pass next? It's not the Braves or Mets. It's the Marlins. The freaking Marlins. <laughs> the freaking Marlins. Uh, before we get to them, though, I mean, do you have you want to throw in any further thoughts on the Mets and what this week has been like for them? Uh, it, I mean, it's been bad for them. Uh, I, I guess theoretically, no, I don't feel anything. Uh, that uh, I don't feel any uh, sympathy or empathy. Those are not feelings that I'm feeling. Uh, I could talk about what feelings I'm feeling, but they are nasty. So we won't do that. But it has not been a good week for them. Uh, it, it Was it only Pete Alonzo holding up this team? It wasn't only, but the offense is something that's been um, uh, challenged, let's say, because the Mets didn't really 
get go out and get a bat in the off season. No, they their, signed their Justin Verlander, who's forty. Right, and they locked up Brandon Nimmo for for a while too. And uh, I think people initially were complaining, but then you know the counter argument to that was this offense won you over a hundred games last year. Mm-hmm. So how much do you really have to improve it? And uh, they came out this year, and the offense has not been a strong suit. I think people have been on Francisco Lindor a bit. But Pete Alonso has been having a monster year. And regardless, he is now the National League home run leader is now not in the Mets lineup. So that is going to cost them, I believe. Oh, yes, for sure. Um, And I guess in that context, yes. Uh, I also see it's a long season. Still, I know we're two months through it. There's a lot of time. No, for, I've heard that. I know you've heard I've it. Heard that, for yeah. me, I say it a lot. Uh, eventually, I'll be. I'll have to stop saying it because we'll be at the midway point of the season, and I'll say time is running out a whole lot more. But for now, uh, they have a little bit of time to play with to get things right, and we know that teams can really put a wiggle on in the second half of the season to get to the top. We've seen it happen. The Braves have done it recently uh so it it's not entirely impossible that they could recover so i'm not ready to count them out yet i am shocked to hear that the i mean their gm who is that billy epler billy epler billy epler uh you can i mean you can get rid of him i don't really care (laughs) the gms don't really mean all that much in the long run i feel like it would be foolish to fight to to fire buckshaw walter that feels like a rash and foolish move. Are you sure? Because they looked down at Philadelphia, who fired their manager in the middle of last season, and it worked out great for them. So Buck Schalter's had a couple of years with the Mets. Yeah. If this if this three hundred and fifty nine million dollar roster tanks, who do you think Steve Cohen's going to blame? I mean, it is that's the manager's job is just to take the flack for under underperforming players. Um, I don't watch the Mets enough to know whether or not he's like handling the bullpen well or if the lineup's a big problem. So those could also be issues that he could be fired for. Those were problems I had with Joe Girardi. I mean, who knows? There maybe there's someone waiting for their chance, and the, the Mets could blossom out of a. Uh, Buck Showalter firing, but he he helped the team, mostly the same team, win 100 games last year. So that's the only reason I'm like, why? I mean, I, I understand that it's frustrating. There's a lot of money on the line, but like it feels really rash to pull the ripcord. Maybe I'm just a, a more patient person now after watching the Phillies in 2022. But well, what's interesting is the Mets losing last night uh, to the Braves in catastrophic fashion, <laughs> and that the overall way in which that you know three straight games have been lost catastrophically is being talked about so much more than the Marlins, who are in second place and refuse to come back to earth. They have a four and a half game lead over the Phillies. Yes. Lo- Luis Arise has been Ted Williamsing through the season, uh-huh. hitting at a 400 clip. They've got a solid rotation with a strictly managed workload in defending NL Cy Young winner Sandy Alcantara, he- Jesus Lazardo, Edward Cabrera, Braxton Garrett, and they're getting Trevor Rogers back from the injured list. Also, Johnny Cueto is around somewhere, in case you forgot. My God, he's from the <laughs> Miggy era. There you go. That's There's it. He's one. still there. God, God love Johnny Cueto. He's the best. Jazz Chisholm got good news from a foot specialist, and he'll be eased back into baseball activities. Oh, Andrew McCutcheon. He's from... He's, yeah, he's you're right. There, right. There are There's okay. just a few hanging on, and will almost certainly be leaving soon. Uh, yeah, uh, Chisholm got good news from a foot specialist. He's going to be eased back into baseball activities. Uh, the Marlins currently hold the second wild card spot and refuse to come back down to earth. Pirate style. Uh, and now even Lionel Messi is on his way to Miami, and nobody's talking about him. Nobody. <laughs> no, between the, the Panthers, where the, I think the, the finals resume tonight. I'm trying to uh, to remember, because I know the Heat there are in the finals. Yes, there's a game tonight at the at in Miami. So one night after the Panthers finally won a, uh, a game in the Stanley Cup Finals. Hopefully the the heat will come back and even the series and Miami will just get so excited and lift off the face of the earth, taking the rest of Florida with it. Goodbye, everyone.
Wow. It's the center of the sports universe at the moment. That, I mean, it Every- should just ascend. When all that happened, you know, just ascend up. There's nothing else you can do. Just leave us all, leave all of us mortals behind. We'll just have to go on without you. South Florida is just, yeah, reaching, reaching a new level. If only they had a governor. Oh, well. I know. Well, Weird. Uh, <laughs> the Phillies start a series against the Dodgers tonight. Uh, as everyone has been saying, this will be a different kind of test than playing the Nationals and playing the Tigers. Uh, but with the kind of pitching we just saw, it would be great to be able to lean on the rotation in the way that we were able to in the last series. So we will see what happens next. Uh, Liz, any final thoughts before we close up this episode of Hidden Season? Uh, I just uh, enjoyed talking to all my relatives and friends about the Phillies uh, and getting their opinions and being able to to take that forward. I feel like that's important. I would love to hear what your non-internet connected friends and relatives are saying about the Phillies at any point. I believe that is a relevant and overlooked point of view. Tell me, I would love to find that out. Please communicate their views on Twitter to me. Please don't introduce them to Twitter. Just don't do it. (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) No one else deserves to be to be trapped there. Uh, And I'll just add real quick, the Phillies have a new part owner in Stan Middleman, the president (laughs) and CEO of Liberty Mortgage, and uh, just did a did a cursory glance at uh, some 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 of his history. It's definitely uh, not John Middleton wearing a mustache. (laughs) Stan Middleman is not John Middleton in a mustache. During the World Series in October 1993, the Inquirer ran a story on the people inhabiting the private boxes at Veterans Stadium, and Middleman is quoted in there. It's not an interesting or provocative quote in any way, but he's in there. And with the context provided by this overwritten intro, it gives you an idea of the crowd he was at least standing within at this point. Uh, (laughs) Again, this is from the Inquirer. Uh, and and this, uh, this story was listing the different things that you would see in those private boxes. Festive parties featuring wild bankers who make whoopee by answering beeper calls from eager salesmen seeking up-to-date mortgage rates. Glittering glittering political soirees in the newly decorated mayor's box where one rabid sports fan follows the game by watching television and pleasure reads the city's FY93 revenue reports. Cocktail party chatter debating the aesthetic qualities of vanilla mini blinds. The window treatment has become the plastic equivalent of the Berlin Wall, separating the mayor's box from the next door box neighbor (laughs) and Eagles football owner Norman Brobin. And yeah, Stan Middleman is quoted in saying as to like why he's down there as the the head of Liberty Mortgage and like you know what's what what is he what he what does he get out of these private boxes? And he said it gives me an excuse to come out and have some fun with the people who work for me. All right. <laughs> Listen, he was also you know what? he was also sporting full Philly red regalia. I'm sure none of it still had the tags on. <laughs> you know what? I'd rather a bland quote than uh, a. Someone speaking their mind in any way. <laughs> oh, yeah. A, a, Listen, a, and- the owner of a mortgage bank uh, speaking his mind. No, I just I'm fine with with uh, banal patter. Yeah, listen, I'm not an investigative journalist by any stretch, but I just did some some casual glancing at, uh, at at some old stories about him. And, you know, there's a lot of stories about him are about how uh, he donated to the various charities in Camden, New Jersey. Um, and I mean, like when he's because he started Liberty Mortgage and, you know, he he did a lot of that kind of stuff. And, yeah, he's he's quoted in like several sports stories when the NFL players were on strike. He was at the game where the Eagles got killed by the Bears 35 to three. And he's quoted coming out, coming out of the stadium and saying, um, uh, he said, this is horrible. This stinks. <laughs> so he's succinctly quoted in these major sports stories from the era. And the last thing I'll mention is in October 1992, Middleman and what was described as 15 of his cronies in the Inquirer rented a bus and drove into Philadelphia to view a taping of Wheel of Fortune that was happening at the Civic Center. Uh, this was a hotly pursued event with limited numbers of tickets, but Middleman, whose Liberty Mortgage Company was an advertiser on WPVI, which would air the show, got as many as he wanted, and his group reportedly was in the lobby of the Civic Center chanting, as one does before a game show taping, don't, wo- don't work for your mortgage. Let your mortgage work for you. <laughs> oh, God. That is, I did not expect, no, of all of the things they could have been chanting. That is, that is, that's like pod person behavior. 
Yeah, we'll see. Well, yeah, we'll see what happens. It's you know, it's ownership. You never, you never know. But yeah, that's that was just some entertaining anecdotes uh, I found about the Phillies' new part owner. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Hitting Season. As always, stay tuned. We will bring you further Phillies notes uh, and coverage as the season goes on. And here's hoping they can make some noise against the Dodgers this weekend. From WHY and Billy Penn, this has been Hitting Season.